Welcome back to the Damn Good Dogcast. Welcome, guys. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Today is June 3rd, and boy, what a day we had on June 1st. Obviously, two huge commitments, and I got my chain on. I told you it was coming. Just letting y'all know now, hey, it is a damn good time to be a dog right now, guys. Uh, obviously, huge additions here and, you know, questions uh, positions that are really questionable for Georgia coming in, uh, obviously at this in the secondary and at the receiver position. And Kirby and company did not disappoint picking up Darion Kendrick and Ari Gilbert. And what better way to um, what better way to bring it in, guys? Like it's insane. It really is insane. Um, but obviously, we can talk about that a little bit later. Uh, I'm going to bring on Jake Crane from the J Boy Show. Jake, how are you doing, man? Hold on, can't hear you, bud. Hold on, can't hear you. Let me see here. Let me work on some settings. Mm -hmm. You there? Hello. Can't hear. All right, let me see here. All right, while while we get this technical difficulty situated, I'm gonna talk about Arik Gilbert. Gonna talk about um, uh, Darion Kendrick as well. And let me see here. Can you hear me, Jake? You there? I'm trying to figure this out here. Hmm. It's very interesting. I don't know why it wouldn't be working here. Let's see. Phone. All right. There we go. Yeah, there we go. There we go. I heard that. <laughs> nah, man, it's, I, I appreciate you having me on, man. Excited to talk some ball. Hey, you know what? I'm one of the best to do it, man. So it's always a pleasure. Uh, obviously, you just hopping in, man. Um, you know, started a new tradition recently. And, you know, what better way um, of doing it than the commitment chain with Georgia? Right. I'm just telling you, man, it's it's interesting to see how it worked out. Right. Like and we'll talk about this. We'll start off with this. The you know, the addition for Georgia with uh, Darion Kendrick and Arik Gilbert. Right. Georgia fans are ecstatic right now. Right. And, and, I, and honestly, I believe it's reasonable for that. Um, you know, question marks at the secondary receiver positions with George Pickens. You know, and really Kirby just literally shut the door on those question marks, in my opinion. Uh, you know, obviously you are you don't you don't follow the dogs as much as I would. I know you kind of follow Auburn and a lot of the SEC as well. You know, what is whole it, SEC, what would you look at? Baby, whole SEC. There you go. From an outside standpoint, what does the addition of Darian Kendrick and Ari Gilbert mean to the SEC? What would you what would your takeaways be for that? Yeah, you know, I, I think Georgia, even before this, uh, to win the whole thing, I thought this was the year for them. I wasn't one of these people the last three or four years saying they're going to win it every year, or this is the year, this, that, and the other. But I look at the roster, and, you know, going through spring, Georgia was going to have to adjust their defense based on being thin in the secondary. You look at what they were asking Adam Anderson to do and some of these other guys and, and really putting a lot of emphasis on the front seven and, and using formations defensively and alignments defensively to take some pressure off the back end. But now adding Tyke Smith, adding Kendrick from Clemson, two very high ceiling guys, two guys that can compete at this level, two guys that won't be afraid, You're and turnage as well, you've actually turned your secondary from a weakness per se into being above average or almost being able to compete with the front seven you have. We all know how good Georgia's defensive line is. So I look at the roster, I think it does nothing but add to it. 
I think this is Kirby's best chance. And listen, getting Eric Gilbert, that's great. That's fantastic. Offense was not going to be Georgia's problem, even without George Pickens. It adds another missile in the arsenal. But the biggest thing they've done has been through the secondary and the portal, and that's going to be the difference from a depth standpoint when you're trying to get over the hump against Alabama and play some of these teams in the playoff. Yeah, and I know, obviously, getting over the hump uh, in regards to the SEC championship game and really Alabama more so than anything has been, you know, Georgia's kryptonite right now. Uh, you know, and, and really looking at it, you know, from an outsider standpoint, you know, obviously, I look at it realistically as, you know, well, I should start with this. You know, a lot of people are saying it's now or never this year specifically. Uh, yeah. You know, there's no excuses, you know, for this year. And my thing is, I don't think there should be an excuse any year, right? Georgia's in this national title contention uh, really ever since Kirby has came in. Um, obviously, it's hard to beat Bama. It's hard to beat those teams, uh, you know, but it's just a matter of getting the right thing. So I'm not one to believe in excuses. I think Kirby's getting the right talent in. Uh, and this year, you kind of put an emphasis on, you know, shoring up your your, your really your weaknesses. Um to make sure that you have the best squad to go out there and compete against the likes of Bama and Clemson, obviously with September 4th looming. Uh, that's, you know, obviously that's the big storyline for college football, in my opinion. You know, but then you got to worry about the Ohio States and the Oklahoma. And, you know, adding adding that piece to the offense, I think only benefits Georgia with way or with the way that Monken wants to go. I believe Monken wants to air this thing out uh, and, and change the change the philosophy from, an, you know, from a really from an NCAA standpoint and change the mentality that Georgia's, you know, they can run the ball, but they can really throw the ball. Uh, you know, and the perception for Georgia has always been just running the ball. And I think Monken, you know, adding Arik Gilbert and really making the changes that he uh, that he's had since he came in, you know, I really believe now's the time to show really the NCAA that Georgia's not your old typical running team of the past. Yeah, well, you know, I, I look at it and it's it, – I'm a firm believer in things can be true at once. And I'd like to caution every Georgia fan on – on and listen, I understand. Uh, y'all are way overdue for a national championship. You're way overdue for one. This is probably y'all's best chance. But Kirby has set y'all up to have continued and sustained success. And if for some reason it doesn't happen this year, I really caution Georgia fans on freaking out. I think the Mark Richt uh, and Kirby Smart comparisons are laughable at best. I think if you really dive into the numbers, what Kirby has done to elevate Georgia. And listen, Georgia's always been traditionally a good team, a team you have to, to watch out for. The state school in a state that is loaded with talent. But Kirby. elevated them into the same conversations with Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State staying and we'll be talking about it again in the year after that yeah no you know listening to that right there obviously you look at Kirby Smart and you know honestly when he got on and seeing the success you know that we had uh, with him you know I really thought that you know, to hear these comparisons uh, were really just laughable, in my opinion, too. Um, you know, not saying that Rick was a bad coach or anything. I, lo- I think a lot of Georgia fans love Rick. Um, but there are some things that Kirby's done in, in just his short period of time that, you know, really just helps out the Georgia program for the long haul. Um, you look at, you know, obviously the addition of Josh Brooks as well is a welcome surprise to me or a welcome addition as well. Um, you know, with McGarity, in my opinion, we, he was hesitant to spend the money. Uh, Kirby knew what it took to get to, on the, to the level that we are now. And having Josh Brooks, I think, is the key piece there, too, because he's willing to spend the money. You know, you look at the, you look at the new facility, right? That was McGarity's parting gift, in my opinion. But, you know, obviously you're looking at the budget. Like, Georgia released their budget, uh, and it was like a, north of $150 million. And obviously from an athletic standpoint, but nonetheless, that's a lot of money. They spent $12,000 on every chair in the locker room. They're made from Lamborghini leather. You know, when you win and you're in the SEC, what did Disney just sign for $7 billion for the SEC? It's only going to get crazier. And when uh, to the victor go the spoils. And Georgia, with what they've done and what they've been able to accomplish, they're going to keep increasing facilities. Look, it's a nuclear arms race in the SEC right now for facilities. And it's going to continue to go that way. And the money is going to continue to increase this year, in my opinion. There will be more money generated for college football, whether it be 
tailgating, concessions, merchandise sales than ever before. Uh, it's a way of life for us down here. But Georgia has will spare no expense because they see what's going on. You see what's going on. Georgia has really turned the page and elevated themselves. But going back to my point before, Nick Saban made the decision that we have to score points. We have to open the offense up. He brought in guys like Lane Kiffin, Brian Dayball, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, and really decided we're not going to beat guys 9-6 to six anymore or 24-3. to three. You have to be able to score. Look at what Ole Miss did to him last year offensively. If Ole Miss could have got a couple stops, that's an interesting game. I think Kirby is on that same timeline, but you have to be able to trust the quarterback and the OC, and you've got one in Todd Munkin you can trust. You've got a quarterback in JT Daniels you can trust. And to me, it's not just, oh, Jordan's going to air the ball out more. I think they're going to attack more through the air on early downs. And no more can you just load the box against Georgia and say, we're going to stop the run. Or if you're Alabama, say, we're going to get through the first half. We're going to see some of the stuff that Georgia added for this game and then shut them out in the second half. That's going to be the difference. That's how you get over the hump. And I think you're going to see that this year. Yeah, you know, adding on to that, though, you know, kind of Georgia took this kind of philosophy. Obviously, you mentioned Saban and scoring points. You know, also look at it this way. You know, Saban really, I, I guess in my opinion, uh, I've developed the philosophy of uh, analysts, right? Really making an emphasis on hiring the best analysts and using it as like a, a coordinator in waiting almost. Uh, so you look at, obviously, with Georgia, you have Todd Munkin at the offensive coordinator spot. Um you know, but you hire, you bring in Buster Faulkner. And, and honestly, in my opinion, I think if Todd Munkin, when he leaves, Buster Faulkner becomes the offensive coordinator. Uh, you know, and on defense, obviously you got Dan Lanning, um, you know, but then you have Muschamp. And, you know, honestly, you could look at Schumann as well, I think would be the co coordinator in waiting. But, you know, obviously you bring in uh, Muschamp as an uh, analyst, a great mind from a defensive standpoint. Head coaching obviously is questionable at best, in my opinion. But from a defensive standpoint, excellent mind. So you bring in these analysts that really have a great insight of the game. And, and like I said, Bama did that, and it really works well. And obviously it helps with replace the attrition uh, these coaches have basically every year of these elite programs. Yeah, and, and listen, gone are the days where you're just relying on the head coach and the full-time coaches and the GAs. I mean, I'll do you one better. Look at the way recruiting departments have exploded. They're hiring graphics guys left and right. Uh, you're hiring nutritionists. You're hiring people that are responsible for getting birthday cards out to the kids, to the kids' families, remembering those dates. It is You have to build a Death Star nowadays. I talk about this with Brian Harson all the time. This isn't Star Wars. You don't beat the Death Star and the dark side being the rebellion. You have to build your own Death Star. And what is that? It's hiring damn good full-time coaches that can recruit. It's hiring efficient guys underneath you, whether it be analysts or in, in Kirby Smart's situation, being able to bring in a guy like Will Muschamp. I, I would just call him more of a consultant because that's what he is. And you have great minds. Mark Rick can come yep. to the building. He's living uh, close to home now. So uh, the more ideas you can bounce off guys that you trust and the bigger of an army that you can trust that you put around you, you become what? More efficient. Well, what is the process that Nick Saban talks about all the time? It is about efficiency. Every second of the day, getting a little bit better, knowing where guys are, knowing you can hold guys accountable, and having a structure and a schedule that sets up. I think it's perfect, and I'm really excited to uh, kind of see as it morphs. Because, again, it gives guys more chances to get jobs. It expands the footprint of college football, and I love it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm completely in agreement with you there. I think efficiency is the word, you know, basically the best word you could have put there. Um, you know, but you, you talked about Hartson, right? And I want to switch to Auburn, right? Look, Georgia-Auburn has this, huge, like, ridiculously long rivalry. Uh, obviously, it's it's weird to hear Hartson's name being there because yeah. you're so with Gus. Um, you know, looking at the transition there, obviously, you know, Auburn, you know, they lose Gus, but they, you know, they get uh, T.J. Finley from LSU. Uh, you know, the question, in my opinion, I look at Auburn and I think, you know, I don't trust Bo Nix enough to really get you where you need to be. You know, and, and the question for the, you know, the T.J. Finley edition, does, you know, does T.J. Finley, you know, does he take over the starting role over Bo Nix? Or do you think they brought in T.J. Finley to to just really try to get the best out of Bo Nix? Um, you know, and, and I want to say this first on Bo Nix, just like I brought up earlier, you know, multiple things can be true at the same time. I, I think college football fans kind of have a bad habit of thinking it's just one thing instead of realizing that 
uh, it could be a couple problems and some things are symptoms of those problems. For example, Bo Nix needs to get a whole hell of a lot better in the pocket. He's got to go through his progressions. He's got to stop going off his back foot. He's got to stop playing high school ball out there. But he hasn't had a line at Auburn that's been able to protect them. And those two things go hand teams, use the good old boy network to just replace guys. I mean, they tried to elevate Kevin Steele up to be the head coach, and that got squashed on ever such over such backlash. But I like going outside the box. I think Brian Harson's exactly the type of guy you need, a guy that understands structure, a guy that's going to turn Auburn back into that hard nose, good up front. Uh, but the biggest problems that – the two biggest problems facing him, number one, is getting recruiting, especially on the offensive line. And I'm not talking about signing five-star. But evaluating correctly and developing talent yeah. at the office roster structure. Gus, the biggest problem at Auburn was he couldn't structure the roster. What, make, what makes Nick Saban great? What makes Kirby Smart great? What makes Jimbo Fisher great? Kelly Dabo, dab to the roster. They don't lose too much at important positions at once. That's how you sustain success. I think Brian Harson understands that. Now, bringing in TJ Finley, bringing in TJ Finley to me, balancing out the quarterback room for the coming years. I don't see him beating out Bo Nix. I don't think he was brought in to beat out Bo Nix. Now, it'll push Bo Nix, and Bo Nix is the type of competitor where that helps. But if you look at Auburn's roster, they had Bo Nix, who was a true junior. Grant Loy can't throw it from me to you if we were sitting next to each other in a diner. They can't <laughs> yeah. count on him to throw him to a win. Demetrius Davis is a true freshman quarterback. So what Davis in there or have to put in a guy the ball? But even better than that, what about next year? What if he has a huge year and leaves? Or he has a bad year and leaves? Or if he gets hurt? Now you're relying on a redshirt freshman and then a true freshman that they've got committed in holding Gariner. Now, 2022 and 2023 look a whole heck of a lot more stable at the quarterback position. And that's one of the many position groups that Brian Harson had to shore up through the transfer portal. And I thought, I think it was a good get. I think it'll be a heck of a battle next year for if Bo Nix doesn't return for TJ Finley and Demetrius Davis. But TJ's a pretty good player, had ups and downs. But what else do you expect from a true freshman quarterback in the SEC and the SEC West? Yeah, no, I mean, the West is, you know, the West is cutthroat as it can get. And, you know, you look at, you know, you look at TJ Finley, you know, obviously he didn't benefit from having these cupcake games that you would at a normal season. So I, I get your yeah. point. You know, that don't look at the stats necessarily, right? Understand the circumstances of him being a true freshman. You know, I think really you bring on anybody and, and it'll help. I, I would think that it would help Bo Nix somewhat yes. get out of this average mindset like coming into Auburn he everybody was hyping him up and then really it just, his performance hasn't lived up to the expectations by any means but you know so you look at that right there and, and kind of transition to another topic within the SEC you mentioned TJ Finley coming from LSU and you know obviously you know last night I think it was news broke that uh, Ordron had fired uh, James Craig the offensive line coach and obviously I don't know I don't think the details have came out yet, uh, and I was kind of thinking about it this morning. I, do, I don't know how to feel about why he would cut him, considering they won the 2019 Joe Moore Award. Um, I'll tell you, know, you why. I'll tell you why. Because Clemson, oh. Clemson turned him in on Tristan Lee. That's why. Um, Ooh, and the happiest okay. person right now is probably Will Wade, now that some pressure can get taken off him. Uh, and, again, listen, I, I I coached for nine years, five at the Division One level, and, and I'm not the type to want to come on – and, you know, bash coaches or talk about recruiting violations. You don't fire your offensive line coach right after spring. Like the timeline doesn't, unless he got a DUI or something happened off the field or there's a recruiting violation. And uh, from what my sources who I trust are telling me, I think Clemson turned him in. I think Clemson turned in another team. I'm getting some uh, info on right now that I think Georgia fans will be pretty excited about. But nothing's going to come to fruition because the balance of power uh, for who got turned in I don't see anything happening, but at LSU, I think they're in trouble. One can hope it's only Florida because I hate. No, them. it's not them. It's uh, it's oh. a little bit higher up. A team that uh, Georgia uh, is really looking at uh, trying to get over the hump against, and I'll leave it there. I, I know what I'm not going to be the one to make any kind of assumptions or anything. Obviously, I just wanted it to be Florida. We know we know damn well it ain't Tennessee because that right now that's a shithole program and a state of mind. Yeah, and Heupel's got his work cut out for him. You know, it, it is Tennessee, you know, but Hypo, you know, that situation, I don't really understand what to do that with that situation there. 
Yeah. You know, I think you know, I want to hear your thoughts on this, right? So everybody, I look at it as program suicide almost because there was some really shady shit that happened. You yeah. know, really shady stuff going on there, and uh, you know, for them to come in and bring and do a self investigation, you know, to yeah. me it shows the incompetency of the uh, athletics director not putting out the putting in the buyout clause for uh, Pruitt. So I think yeah. that's the option yeah. that they had to deal with. Because the boosters were probably on their ass saying, look, get this guy out of here. But his hands, but the AD's hands were tied because they didn't put that in the contract. So I think they committed suicide in that regard just to get rid of Pruitt when, you know, let's be honest, like, I don't think that's the smartest move by any means. Yeah. Well, yeah, and and Tennessee's in trouble. I'm telling you right now. Whenever... You, you don't tell on yourself until you feel like you're caught. You're exactly right. But again, the Tennessee administration being a dumpster fire, what's new? Uh, I don't think, you know, the stuff that went on with Jeremy, you know, he wasn't the best social person either. You know, he Jeremy Pruitt's not the, the guy you're going to get to host the ESPYs. Let's just say that much. Uh, and if you look at Tennessee and the trajectory of that program and just the struggle, I mean, I think they've lost, what, 15 out of 16 to Alabama and like like 13 out of 14 to Georgia. It's bad. And oh, they yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when they when they got rid of Jeremy Pruitt, and you found out that the NCA investigation was coming, and they're going to get hit with something, you're not going to get a Billy Napier. You're not going to get a Jamie Chadwell. You're not going to get any of these guys that have built a lot of equity at these smaller places and go to the SEC and try and fight by, with one hand tied behind their back when you've got these monsters just walking around right now through the SEC. So to me, Josh Heupel, it's a stopgap hire because remember. Josh Heifel wasn't exactly blowing it out of the water at UCF. I think he was one bad year at UCF, one more, because they've been trending down from getting fired. So to me, it's a stopgap hire. Uh, that offense, I think, is going to leave the defense out to dry. They may score some points against people. I think almost maybe a little Ole Miss-ish last year. But if you're going to go at warp speed like that and you don't have depth on defense, with they, which they don't, you look at Henry Toa Toa going to Alabama and, and the other people they've lost as well. Tennessee's in for uh, another tough in my opinion, at least two, possibly three years, and then they can go get uh, the person they want. Josh Heupel, to me, is like the person you date before you find the person you marry. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you there. I, that's like, it sounds like a bad rebound attempt, if you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, and again, sometimes you know, you're know you pigeonholed, and it is what it is. I mean, Danny White had to hire the guy that he was just working with at UCF. I don't think he yeah. wanted to do that, but he's familiar <laughs> with them, uh, and they can kind of get them through the storm that's coming and then try and start from scratch. Uh, with a guy that can really do it yeah you know and, and really kind of putting into perspective here all of the all the new coaching changes right so obviously harson at auburn uh you know you look at beamer in in, in columbia and then you have you know obviously uh hypo at tennessee uh you know i'm looking at this right here and it really it's really seems top heavy right now the sec does uh yeah i, I want to see parity because i think overall it would make the sec even stronger but I mean, let's be honest here. You know, you look at you look at teams like Alabama and Georgia. And honestly, I don't even think Florida's in this conversation this year. I don't either. But you look at that right there, and I think you have to look at um, just you know the top heaviness of this you know conference. In my opinion, you know, is it is is it a detriment to the conference to have so much top like so much imbalance yeah. uh, from the to the you know what I mean from top to bottom? Yeah, and, and listen, I'm all for meritocracy. I mean, Nick's now we are living in an age of the most dominant coach in the history of college football, which yeah, is Nick are. Saban. And parody, listen, parody is always great for the league. But I'll argue, uh, kind of push back against you. I think right now uh, we're kind of in a move as as eventually the reign at Alabama will end. It, it will end eventually. Football cyclical. Yep. But if you look at the coaches right now. I mean, even Clark Lee at Vanderbilt, you know, I thought that was a coup for them to get him. He's a guy that's very respected. Now, it's Vandy. Uh, it's one of the hardest places to win in the country. But you got Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. You got Mike Leach at Mississippi State. You got Sam Pittman at Arkansas. Uh, but then you look at the East. Listen, I like the Shane Beamer hire. I really do. Uh, I think Shane's going to do a good job. He's got to totally revamp that roster. Uh, but I think he's he's got a much better chance of having success early than Tennessee does. But, no, I mean, I'm all for parity. I'm a, I agree with you on Florida. I got Kentucky finishing second in the East this year. I don't think Mark Stoops gets talked about enough, what he's done at Kentucky. And now that they're actually going to throw the Ford pass, they may be able to score some more points this year. 
Now, I, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, when I when I have people on, we'll do uh, season predictions and things like that. But, you know, I, I've thought that Kentucky would finish second as well. And you cannot discount the credit towards Stoops and his all, and his defensive work. His defense has really been, I would say, very impressive to me. Um, you, you look at last year, right, in the SEC schedule alone, they led the league in interceptions. They were a very good pass uh, defensive team. You know, and I feel like, you know, the media overlooks that, right? People want to see the, you know, the darlings of, you know, in Gainesville, right? People want Florida to be the SEC East Championship. And Georgia fans feel this way for the past three years after, or not this past year, but the three years prior, obviously with Fromm. Everybody was picking Florida, picking Florida, and Georgia just kept winning the East, winning the East, winning the East. Obviously, down year, you know, no excuses because we flat out got beat, right? But you look at the talent that Florida had, and I'm going to have a crack at this because, look, I'm a dog. I'm a Gator hater. You're an Auburn guy. You cover the SEC, but I think you kind of lean a little bit Auburn, and that's fine. Oh, I'm fr- from there. Dead played there. We're all, that's what I always know. laugh. I mean, we're all, we're all fans of somebody, but it's the difference between if you're trying to cover the SEC being non-biased toward that team. I was the first one screaming that Gus Malzahn needed to go. Yeah, you kind of had that feel, but uh, to me, and I see, I see the point from people in Auburn. The thing about it was, though, he was the only coach, and really, I would say, outside of Dabo Swinney, that could somewhat beat Saban more than once, right? Like, well, if if I'm a Georgia fan, Gus, I'm the biggest Gus Malzahn fan there is. I mean, he couldn't beat Georgia. That's the reason. That's the reason he got fired. To be honest with you. Was that he yeah, I feel like his- Mullen's in the same situation here soon. I, I think he had the, the weird thing is they gave him the extension. Yeah, but I mean, he won the East I'm last year. That. He won the East last year. You know, I mean, he, he, he did. I, but you know, the thing about Dan Mullen to me, I think Dan Mullen. I actually did. I had Dennis Dodd on from CBS Sports, mm-hmm. uh, and then I did. I do a monologue before each episode uh, now, and I think Dan Mullen won't be at Florida for the next. Uh, I think there's a two-year to three-year cap, even though they just extended him, which and extend that's for recruiting. That's what that's for. So guys can't go yeah. into the home. Last year, there's a lot of talk about Dan Mullen to the Jets, uh, some talk about Mullen to the Jags. But I don't think Dan wants to deal with uh, recruiting anymore. I don't think he wants to deal with the off-the-field stuff, the academics, because in reality, Dan Mullen's one of the best offensive minds in the country. Yeah, I, mean, I, I can see him going pro and being just fine. Yeah. From a play-calling standpoint, I mean, Dan Mullen is, is legit. Look what they did to Alabama last year uh, offensively. Yeah. I mean, they had a ton of success. And, again, they lost Trask. They lost Pitts. They lost Kadarius Tony, but look, the way that Georgia's recruiting, the way that Kirby's developed that roster, I, I don't think Florida's going to have a ton of success. And I think Dan Mullen knows that. I really think Dan Mullen knows that, and he wants to get to the NFL, and and we'll see if that happens. You know, the, one of the things that you know, ever you hear this right, Florida fans. I heard it. You know, obviously they talk about beating Georgia, right? They looked at beating Georgia as their national championship, in my opinion, and they really threw the moral victory of you know we almost beat. You know Alabama, and 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 fair that played a, that was a really good game in my opinion from an outside standpoint. But the thing about it is, you t- you know, and this is kind of your point about Mullen. Mullen has his his like a historical offense down in Gainesville, and somehow finds a way to lose four games. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, well, it's the defense, you know. To me, well, well yeah, Todd you Grantham. Have- Todd Grantham right now is <laughs> maybe the most stressed out guy in the SEC because if there's any more pressure on a coordinator. Because what's weird, and I think you'll agree with me this, and, and you've followed SEC football, I'm sure, your whole life. This is the first year I can remember going into a season where there's really not a coach on the hot seat, uh, if you really look uh, around yeah. the league and you have new guys in. But, you know, maybe you could say Ed Orgeron now with this uh, stuff with the offensive line coach, and if they don't start out well, you're going to hear some chirping. But it's kind of an anomaly to me. No, I, I agree. You know, looking at it, though, right, I think, I think it's the culmination of the new coaching hires. So you have, you know, you have all your new coaches coming in. The, you know, Ole Miss, I think offensively, you see Lane Kiffin. Everybody knows offensively he's a great mind. And you look at it from a sense of, you know, just what you were talking about. There, there's really outside of Orgeron and LSU, you know, you could try to make a, a stretch, you know, take to say maybe, well, I don't know, maybe Leach, depending on how bad the year goes for them. But, uh, you know, oh, we lost him. But kind of to go off of Jake's point. Um, you know, looking at the SEC guys with the parity here, you know, and, and the coaches not being on the hot seat, you know, I think that's good for SEC football. I really do. I, I think that's very good for them. Um, you know, you look at it, and we got them. Hey, Jake, welcome back again, man. Um, yeah, I was talking while you were 
No, you're fine. While you were getting reconnected, uh, I was talking about how, you know, the the coaching situations, right, where there's really none on the hot seat. Yeah, I think you could look at a stretch of, you know, maybe, right, maybe here, looking at Elite, depending on how their season goes, right? Because Mississippi State, they are some crazed fans. Uh, you know, you know, they have an air raid offense, but their defense is very suspect, uh, in my opinion, and uh, at least from my take on Georgia, right? They, they tried to sell out on the run, uh, and they made it a game. I'm not going to say they didn't because they damn well did, uh, you know, but they just don't have the talent there. And it's just you, – you look at today's society and, and, and these fan bases, they really want to win now or, or let it go and just rebuild or, you know, just reload on a, a coach. So I think, you know, like you said, I don't think there's really any questions there except for Orgeron. But if you want to stretch, I think maybe someone like Leach could be on the hot seat at the end of the year. But I, I, you know, I look at it as a good thing that you don't have these hot seat, you know, type of mentality. Yeah, no, and I had Mike Leach on the show a couple weeks ago, and, and he's always fun to talk to. And and look, in his system, now, do I think they'll ever win the SEC West at Mississippi State? No. Do I think they'll screw around and maybe win eight, nine games uh, a couple years with Mike Leach? Yes, he tends to have those years where, where they get hot. The biggest thing with Mike Leach to me, and Dana Holgerson was an assistant of his that used to tell him all the time, and he'll still tell you today, you know, you got to start running the ball a little bit. You can't smoke draw yourself to an SEC West championship. Uh, and again, Mike Leach is going to do what he does. Uh, it's amazing uh, when people played zone against him, they had a lot more success. I don't think Georgia got up for that game. I think they overlooked him. I think they saw all the the attrition from Mississippi State's roster and just thought they would bulldoze him. And, and Will Rogers got hot and they kind of put some stuff together. But, you know, Mike Leach, he does it in a weird way. Now, when you run that system, it takes typically two years to get your guys in there. I, yep. I got them finishing last in the SEC West this year, so I'm right there with you. And if it's really bad, you may hear some chirping. But I think Mississippi State fans are still over the moon about at least being talked about. Uh, it's amazing going from Joe Moorhead to Mike Leach. That, that's a pretty interesting dynamic. I know, right? That's a wild change, isn't it? Yeah. Now, you know, kind of to your point, though, right? You look at you look at Leach. And, you know, you talk about the West, right? Leach comes in, but Sam Pittman, I, I'm telling you, Georgia fans love him. Um, you know, I, I brought on uh, Dean Ratledge, right? Tate Ratledge's dad uh, for yeah. an episode a little while back. And one of the things, and, and, I, and we were talking about this, one of the things that I love about Pittman is he's very genuine. And, you know, the story basically was when, he, when Tate was about to commit, uh, you know, Pittman took the Arkansas job and the character – side of this story comes from him telling him, you know, stick with Georgia. That's where you're best at. Um, yeah. You know, look at, you look at Sam Pittman, right? He took his dream job and he made Arkansas viable, at least compared to where they were the past few years. He really made them, you know, made your eyes open up and like, okay, what's he got going on down there? Cause of his offensive and defensive coordinator hires, you know, Bryles and Odom, mm-hmm. really good, really good change for Arkansas. I, do you see them getting anywhere past the middle of the pack, though? Do you think it's just kind of top, top heavy in the West? Um, you know, I, I, you know, speaking of the West, you know, to me, Sam Pittman, you said it. It's his dream job, and he's the perfect fit. And it's going to be tough to find a guy that's more respected in the realm of college football, uh, especially in the coaching world, than Sam Pittman. Uh, but uh, I think they're still a year away, at least from, especially defensively, from that roster. I don't think Felipe Franks got enough credit for what he did last year for them offensively, making them relevant because their defense was depleted. Now, they had Bumper Pool and a few other guys, but from a depth standpoint, because it's not about your first 22, it's about your first 44. That's how you win in this league. I think Arkansas is still a year away. I think they're going to be in the middle of the pack this year. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if they beat somebody they weren't supposed to beat. But when I look at Arkansas, I look three, four years down the road, Sam Pittman recruiting these offensive linemen, getting Arkansas back to being a physical run team, play action, that identity, playing hard-nosed defense. I don't think Barry Odom's going to be there forever. I think he's going to coach himself into another head job, whether that be Power 5 or Group of 5. But uh, the days of Arkansas being an absolute walkover, I think, are done. But he needs a little more time. And if you look at the SEC West, man, I mean, you had Lane Kiffin. I mean, the, the coaching right – to me, Ole Miss is scary. Not as scary as AM, but Ole Miss – can be scary if they can keep adding guys on defense. And I do want to say this. 
I love Zach Arnett, Mississippi State's DC. I think once he gets his personnel in there, the kids love him. He's passionate and he's a really good adjuster. And that's the difference in these teams that are able to win in the second half of games as opposed to coming out on script and being hot and then not knowing how to adjust after that. No, I absolutely agree. You know, you look at you look at Matt Corral and company there with Lane Kiffin's offensive mind, and and obviously there's a reason why uh, Corral is one of the top quarterbacks this year. You know, from a preseason standpoint, you know, you look at the one of the things that I'm really enjoying here is the the quarterback play in the SEC, right? At least from this preseason, right? You look at Corral last year had a great year. Their record shows one thing, but the the play on the field was completely different. Um, you look at JT Daniels when he finally came in, you know, Georgia fans were salivating, waiting for him to come in. Obviously, you take the 400-yard, 401-yard game, let me rephrase that, against Mississippi State, and then you lead it to four straight wins. Uh, you know, you look at uh, Bryce Young taking over Mac Jones. Alabama won't miss a beat with Bryce Young in, in the quarterback situation. I think you look at it kind of like, a, like a, when they had Tua. Uh, I think you'll see that kind of offensive playing. Uh, you know, and then obviously with Bama bringing in Jai Hall, uh, you've got Mechie, right? They're, they're not going to miss a beat. They may take a step back statistically, but they're not going to miss a beat. It's just Saban's way. He won't make it happen. You know, but then you look at, you know, even the middle of the pack guys like Knicks, uh, you know, you look at what, I don't know, Gatewood, but, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't put, yeah, I didn't know we were talking about tight ends. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Kentucky, I don't know what it is, man. Kentucky always throws these random guys out at quarterback. And once they get, well, they got the Penn State guy. I forgot his name. But you bring him in there, and you actually put a quarterback in the quarterback spot. And yeah. I think that's what you're talking about with with, uh, with Kentucky taking a step forward in their offensive philosophy. That's what's going to make them more dangerous than anything. I'm As a Georgia fan, you know, there's a lot of people that think our schedule uh, – and, and I can believe it that our schedule is not tough at all after Clemson. But you still have to watch out for a couple teams. I think you watch, watch out for Arkansas and Kentucky. Um, you know, you look at Kentucky, like I said, they've played us physical uh, year in, year out with Stoops there at the helm. You know, then you look at, uh, you know, Arkansas, Pittman. I'm telling you, Pittman's going to raise some eyebrows. Uh, you know, obviously the SEC kind of took notice, you know, but I, I think on a national level, I think he upsets a team that you don't expect. I think you're right. Uh, just just kind of getting a feel for it. You know, Kentucky – I think though it's kind of switching back. Though Kentucky is going to be a problem for Georgia, uh, whether we think about it like that or not. Uh, Georgia fans, seriously, what do do not sleep on Kentucky this year. Yeah, well, you know, Mark Stoops has built that thing from the inside out, and you know what is what has made Kentucky more relevant is number one the way they've recruited. I think he's an unbelievable evaluator. I think the staff he's put around him is really good evaluators. I mean, losing Coach Slarman, obviously, that was tough. Uh, well, you know, a guy that's really respected, but their mm-hmm. offensive line is that gum good. They're going to be that yes. gum good this year. And if you're able to run the ball and protect the passer, now that you're actually going to throw the ball, Bo Allen's a guy I'm excited to watch. I'm excited to see that system. They returned Josh Ali, Chris Rodriguez. You look at guys on defense, even though they lost Bo Hanna, uh, they've done a really good job up front. I think the Oxendine guy is going to be a stud. I think he's an NFL player. But no, Mark Stoops has built them to sustain success. And I think they're ready to take that next jump because teams have just been able to load the box and say, listen, if you're going to basically play a wildcat game, then we're going to match that with you on defense. Now they're able to keep defenses more honest. You'll see more big plays. And I think you'll Mm -hmm. see Kentucky be able to outlast some of these teams that they weren't able to outlast because they couldn't score. Yeah, you know, obviously you can talk about Kentucky all day with the the job that Stoops has done. I agree with you that he built it from the inside out because before that, you know, Kentucky really didn't have shit going on for him, in my opinion. Uh, you know, that obviously was afterthought, but he's really made him a, you know, a viable, I wouldn't say contender, but he definitely made him a viable team to watch out yeah. for. They're a problem. They're a problem. Yes, and they are. I, I, agree, I agree. And he typically starts with big uh, defensive tackles. Uh, Maul, you beat you up. You know, that defense is very physical. And obviously, it's an ugly game when we play them. We've played it, like I said, the past couple of years. You know, very ugly game. Uh, you know, I, I think it could be different, though, with with Georgia's offensive philosophy. I'm going to kind of bring it back around one last time back to Georgia here. You know, obviously, with the offensive philosophy change, you know, and JT bearing injury if he's healthy throughout the year. You know, you look at these teams and from an offensive standpoint, I feel like with the, with the weapons that we have, even without Pickens – you know, you, it's a it's a matchup nightmare. 
But, you know, when you think about the possibility of Pickens coming back this year at the end of the year towards the playoffs, I think if you put, you know, say, for instance, one can think about Darnell in the middle, you know, super slot type fill for, you know, Arik Gilbert, you know, Jermaine on the outside and, you know, Pickens obviously on the outside when he returns. That, to me, though, you know, you could go four or five wide almost every play, right, four, you know, spread out like that and really just pick what you want because, the, in my opinion, the defenses, even SEC defenses, are going to have a fucking really hard time, you know, trying to find, you know, the way to cover all those guys. And really, you can't forget about Arian Smith. You know, uh, I don't know if you keep up with uh, track and field, but he ran a 10 10. Yeah, I saw that. Which is insane. No, I, I mean, look, you know, when I look at it, because I don't want Georgia fans to confuse me. I don't think Georgia is going to start just going in empty all the time and, and doing this stuff, but it makes you – the defense has to be way more honest when they play Georgia now. And when you have to be honest, it creates problems at different levels. Now, when you watch this year, watch first down. I think you're going to see Georgia attack vertically a lot more first down. I think you're going to see a little more tempo from Georgia this year with the ability to go empty. To me, now the whole kitchen is open. And you'd much rather, well, because if, if you're if we're sitting here saying that Georgia's going to throw the ball 60 times a game, well, if we know that, then the D.C. from the other team knows that, and they're going to play a soft shell, uh, and, and they're going to not let you get behind them. But when you have the stable and the offensive line and an O-line coach like Matt Luke, Luke and guys like yeah, God, Kendall Milton, uh, McIntosh, James Cook, Zeus. Uh, you now make the D cover every blade of grass in the passing game and the run game, even without Pickens. I love Burton. I love Blaylock. I love Kiaris Jackson. Now you add a freak show alien and Eric Gilbert, and you're just adding more problems, and you're keeping the defense even. And if the defense is even, the offense is leaving. Remember that. Yep. You know, looking at it last year, right, I, I took the uh, the last four games uh, with JT at the helm. I took away those four games is everything I need to see that with, with an offseason and things like that, there's a chance that we have a really good chance to make the playoffs and win a national title. You look at Mississippi State, sold out on defense to stop the, uh, stop the run. Just tried everything they could. They shut down the run. We were able to beat them with uh, JT's arm, and we won the game. Then you move to South Carolina, dominant run game. Didn't I mean, we could pass it, but we focused on the run and just beat them that way. You go to you go to Missouri. Uh, you know, I would say you know played a good defense and blew them out. Right, we blew them out, but it was an overall balanced attack. And then you know Cincinnati, you take that come from behind, you know win last it win right. So it looks you look at all those aspects to me within those games, and I think. That builds the the pedigree for the starting of what could be a national title run and perhaps national title uh, coming to Athens. Now, what are your thoughts on those last four games? Because it was a different team when JT was at the helm. Again, too, and and the thing I think the thing and number one, they got to keep JT healthy. That's the biggest thing they have to do this year, and, and I agree with you on that. But the thing that separates JT Daniels to me is that he can throw the vertical. He can hurt you vertically but he's willing to throw the check down. He's able to put touch on the ball. He gives confidence to the play caller from anything. And when you have that confidence and you have that rapport between Todd Munkin, uh, between uh, JT Daniels, between Kirby Smart, you just become such a vigorous threat to the defense. And the thing that defensive coordinators try and do, just like in every sport, if you're, if you're great going right, they're going to make you go left. Well, now Georgia can dribble with their right hand and their left hand. So you got to play them straight up. And when you do that, that's when you start taking advantage of those matchups. Because the thing that hurts the most about losing George Pickens, in my opinion, outside of him being an unbelievable guy on 50-50 balls, they're more like 70-30 balls, is you knew where the defense was going to have to shade. You knew where, what they were, who they were going to bracket. When Alabama gets in two-man and, and Pickens is on that side, you know who the safety's helping. You know exactly yep. the safety's helping. Now you really don't. Does Eric Gilbert give you that? I think Georgia's going to put him at the slot and outside. Darnell's going to be your inline tight end guy. And that makes Georgia very, very dangerous, especially even against an experienced defense like Clemson week one. 
that returns everybody except now uh, uh, current Georgia Bulldog Darian Kendrick. Yeah, no, I, you know, looking at the, you know, just kind of an idea here, I, you know, I played high school quarterback. I, I wasn't the greatest by any damn means. I, you know, I'm not in the NFL or anything like that. But, but you, you take, you know, you take Pickens out, right? And, and that leaves that side open, at least from a defensive standpoint. But you add a Re- Eric Gilbert and you put him in the middle and you have Darnell in the middle. You know, you look at, you know, Arian Smith to take the deep end, right? I could see it. I could see this mismatch of putting maybe, say, you have, you know, Jermaine on one side, and then you have Darnell. And, you know, so what if you had Darnell, Arik Gilbert, and then uh, Kiaris Jackson on the side, or Arian Smith in the slot, uh, you know, whatever you want to put it. You know, I think you look at it and taking one side of the field and hitting different, uh, different parts of that field, it creates a nightmare situation for the safeties and the linebackers because Arik, Eric Gilbert's too fast for the linebackers. And, you know what I mean? But the safety has to take, you know, they can't get beat with Arian Smith. So, you know, adding Eric Gilbert kind of helps cushion the blow of losing Pickens because you still add that dimension of uncertainty. And really, you said, mate, you said it best, making it even more dangerous, you know, especially when Pickens comes back, if he comes back to play. You're talking about a nightmare situation now. It's just, it's just un, unholy chaos when you add Pickens if he comes back. Yeah. A great example I have is in basketball. When you have a team that all five guys can shoot the three, that's a problem. Like, that's a legitimate problem because it spreads you out and it evens you out and it turns it into one-on-one. Losing Pickens and adding Gilbert, now you have that guy one-on-one. Not saying that Kyrus wouldn't be good one-on-one or Blaylock, but it's a different level, I think, with Gilbert. Not only going to get the 50-50 balls, but in the red zone run yards after the catch, being able to shake off a tackle from a safety because you're big or a corner trying to take your legs out running through them. Those those type plays against teams like Alabama and Clemson, you got to have because regardless of how talented you are, they're talented too. You're not going to have guys running wide open, but now you have guys that can do things not only pre-snap but mid-snap and when they get the ball. And that makes you have to account for so many things defensively. You have to tackle well. Uh, but the red zone to me is uh, if Georgia goes 12 personnel in the red zone and you have Eric Gilbert out there at wide receiver, that's a huge problem for a defense. Absolutely. And I know, you know, the media probably isn't going to look at this, but from a Georgia fan, you look at guys like A.D. Mitchell that showed out in spring game. You look at guys like Justin Robinson, which is expected to kind of have a bigger role uh, with Pickens being out. You look at, you know, Marcus Roseman coming back off of his injury, you know, really had a good game at the Florida game until he, you know, got hurt, uh, you know, but he looked really good uh, as well. You know, so you, one of the things that a lot of people don't really think about is, you know, yes, you have a ton of weapons to start off, but you got so much depth, uh, you know, and Adnery Gilbert helps with the depth more than it does anything else. And, you know, Kirby loves to, you know, rotate these guys in and, you know, with JT going to California and bringing a lot of these guys out there, you're only building the chemistry there. Uh, so you look at this receiving core, and even Darnell going out there too. That right there in itself is going to be the catalyst for a push for the title, just because of you know how serious JT took it in the off season as well. Uh, obviously, if if he gets hurt, then you really start to question it. You know, and, and let's be honest here: there's a drop off even down to what Beck looked like. Look, Beck looked really good in the spring game to me, uh, but there's still a huge drop off. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it, I don't think it's as bad as what happened in 2019 with Fromm. If, if Fromm would have got hurt, God knows what would have happened. But you know, adding adding that depth is really, I think, the key there uh, to making Georgia's push toward the title. Yeah. No, without a doubt. I mean, listen. You know, there's an old saying: "Which army wins? The one with more quality soldiers." And I think that's what Kirby's doing over there. Because look, in the game of football, you know, and your audience knows, there's attrition. People are going to get hurt something's going to happen and the teams that are able to navigate their way through the season and continue to be dominant are able to replace those guys with quality depth. I mean, you look at, at, you know, Alabama and Georgia, uh, they could roll a freshman out there. That was a five-star guy that's physically ready. He may get beat up the first couple of games, but by game three, he's got a good idea of what it is. And that cycle has just repeated itself over long enough to where Georgia is able to, I mean, they rotated 10 D linemen last year that were quality. I mean, that's the difference. That's how you that you add that with this offense. That's how you win a national championship. Yeah, you look at you look at Clemson, right? I went on a show uh, Tuesday, 
And I would take Miles Murphy. I would take Razee over our guys. Now, I wanted to keep Jordan Davis. But yeah. you, look, you look at Miles Murphy, KJ Henry, Razee for Clemson. And, you know, I, I really think that Clemson has the better up front, you know, starting guys. However, you know, depth-wise, I think Georgia has the win right there. Who do you – all right, before we let you go, who do you think is going to win September 4th, Clemson or Georgia? I got Georgia. I wish I could – I wish my book had it right now at plus four and a half. I'd put the rent on it. I think that's laughable. I think it'll be maybe Clemson minus one by the time we kick off. Uh, but I got Georgia. And listen, I'm not sold on Clemson's offensive line. I think Jordan Davis is going to take a bite out of them, and, and the depth is going to get them. I like DJ Ugalalele. I think I said that right. I probably didn't. Uh, but I'm not 100% sold on him as a passer. Look, this ain't Notre Dame, brother. Yeah. Hey, so I know you got to head out, man. I know you're on your way to a, a Barstool event, if I'm not mistaken, right? Oh, yeah, man. I'm down, headed down. Uh, it's a great cause, man. It's called Hogs for the Cause. Uh, it's for pediatric brain cancer, raising awareness uh, for, uh, through Barstool. Barstool Mincy invited me down here. It's going to be me, him, T-Bob, Bear. I think some NFL players down there. It's a great cause, man. Going to eat some good barbecue and hopefully raise some money. And uh, I appreciate you having me on, man. Uh, y'all can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the J Boy Show. Subscribe, uh, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify as well. Uh, I get Mike Griffith all the time. We talk a bunch of Georgias. Uh, hopefully getting Kirby on soon. But no, I got the dogs winning it, man. Y'all can't let me down this year, brother. Hey, we're gonna do our damn well not to uh, make y'all disappointed, <laughs> man. That's for sure. Hey, man, enjoy the hey, enjoy the bar, bar stool event, man. It sounds like a great calls. Uh, enjoy that. Uh, thanks for coming on. Guys, go check out the J-Boy Show. It's a damn good show, man. Uh, thanks again for coming on, and I uh, hope you, hope to see you soon. Definitely. You let me know, brother. You're doing a hell of a job, and I'm excited. Uh, I'm always down to come back. Hey, like, hey, I'm sure I'll get you on, man, at some point. All right, brother. See ya. All right, bud. Have a good one. All right, guys. So with that being said, hey, I kept my chain on, guys. I love this thing. Obviously, I want to keep the tradition going. Uh, sorry for those that are listening, not tuning in on the video. But on that note, though, guys, keep in mind, you know, busy weekend coming in on recruiting, right? Busy, busy weekend. Got a huge weekend coming in. Uh, but on that note, though, guys, I'm going to get off here for the day. Uh, obviously, thanks for tuning in. Obviously, like, subscribe on uh, Twitch, uh, YouTube, uh, you name it. Obviously, you can find us wherever you listen in on it. Uh, for that, though, guys, hey, look, July 2nd, uh, 2 o'clock, I think is going to be the set time here. Uh, we're doing college football for the kids. And for anybody that doesn't understand what that is, it is the it's the uh, it's a show. It's basically just a, a live stream show uh, where we're going to donate uh, to St. Jude and the, the stream uh, will be for St. Jude. So we're going to have some special guests on uh, and I'll post more about it. You'll hear more about it on the uh, website, www.damngooddogcast.com. Uh, as the time comes on, like I said, July 2nd, 2 o'clock for that. Might even have J-Boy back on for that. Uh, but on that note, though, guys, I hope everybody has a good weekend. And stay tuned for the next episode. Go dogs.